There are so many topics covered in this episode that stretch from the continued lack of understanding regarding neurodiversity in sport, but also in everyday life. A term I know from my work in the sustainability field known as greenwashing, where organizations paint their websites green, take a few photos of diverse looking people and employ a sustainability manager so that they can avoid actually changing the way they do things, also finds expression in other areas, notably diversity washing. Delay tactics are nothing new. Humans are naturally prone to repetition. That's probably why we usually do the same kinds of activities and why we don't do something completely random day after day. However, to face a developing social need to accept diversity, understand it, and then adopt methods to improve working methods and structures requires a genuine commitment to change. That genuine commitment is missing in many areas of structural public and private business. It's not enough to publicly accept the need to change and then conduct research into how that change can be justifiably slowed down to squeeze every last cent or penny out of the status quo. People think differently on things, but people also think in different ways, differently. We can't create a neurological mould and force everyone to comply. What needs to be done is create working environments that are better suited to diversity rather than uniformity. It's not about making exceptions, it's about acceptance. Thank you Kara and Mikey for coming to talk with me about these things. Enjoy. Episode number four with Kara and Mikey, which is a bit of a surprise, actually. But before I say why it's a surprise, I should say hello. How are you? Yeah, we're good. Um, is it already episode four? I didn't realise it. Yeah, we did quite a few while ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, good. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. I, I say it's a bit of a surprise. But I actually feel like um, we've had more episodes because I, the work that you do pops up in so many different uh, <laughs> sort of on platforms and email and neurodiverse sport and Kara and this and Mikey's done that. And so um, I feel like we've actually spoken about 100 times over the last few weeks, but that's not the case. Yeah, so. I know. I also follow your stuff as well. So I... I don't know when you. I feel friend. I feel like we're friends. Yeah. So when you're friends, oh no! All the time. Yeah, it's that thing of social media where you 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 feel you know someone's complete life nowadays, don't yeah. you? Without actually speaking to them or seeing my, them. My highlight was when a friend of yours um re remade your logo, and it looks really good now. Because <laughs> at sure. one point I was going to do it for you. <laughs> I'm so happy you brought that up because I've actually put that I'll put that into my notes to bring it up because uh, but you presented that in such a nice way. Um, the way that I remember it is that you sent me a message. I think it was on LinkedIn and you said, oh, Zach, I'm so happy you've changed your logo because it was absolute pants. Um, 
that's the way I remember it. And uh, oh. you, you said you were about to do a design for me. So, yeah, that was my friend Nassos, by the way. So Sorry, blunt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was so amusing because you were, yeah, you're probably right. It, it was just a photo of a few bald men standing in front of a basket. So, um, yeah, but yeah. It just, it didn't reflect all the hard work and the professionalism <laughs> that you put in. But the rebrand is positive, so yeah, it's good. Definitely. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, it's so nice that uh, people think about this in, in, in the way that you do. So um, great. OK, for talking of professionalism, um, you guys have. Yeah, I don't know what it is where where you get your sort of endless uh amounts of energy from but you it's just like every week almost there's boom 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 um Kara's been invited to do this Mikey's racing that you're doing this you're doing that and it's like my word I mean like honestly if you saw me day to day you would believe it like this morning to be fair this morning was an unusual case because yesterday I basically I, I hate filming. So I put off like three bits of filming I had to do um, till the last minute. So today it had to be in. So I did it yesterday. Um, and I also obviously had, you know, those what are they called? Those hoop like lights that make you look good. Ring light. A ring light. They really mess with my eyes. Like I have really sensitive eyes. So they literally make me feel sick. So I was so tired by the end of it. And then. I just wasn't thinking rationally because it like, like I said, it just destroys my brain. And then I proceeded to ignore my note to self that said, you know, stop working at 5 p.m. I worked until midnight. And then this morning I just couldn't. Well, I could I probably could have pulled myself out of bed, but I was like, you are on the edge of burnout. You need to kind of stay stay laid down in the dark for a bit longer. So I yeah, I had a really unproductive morning this morning. Um, but I guess I've kind of learned that over my life. You can't keep taking, taking, taking um, without giving back. But yeah, a lot of a lot of hard work and discomfort comes with being this seemingly productive. I'm not always productive. It comes and goes. And I, I look at other people on social media and think, oh, my God, how do they have so much energy? So I kind of feel bad that I'm making other people feel like that because that's rubbish. <laughs> I don't always have a lot of energy. <laughs> Well, the out the output is uh, insanely good from the both of you. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, I, I'm on on a side note. I'm sort of getting into a lot more of my sort of yoga yoga theory and learning a lot about these things. And one of the principles that came out quite strongly was how in the misinterpretation of Western yoga or Westernized versions of yoga, we don't emphasize enough the need for rest and mm. rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, and the body is always crying out for it and the mind as well yeah but that's not a part of our psyche in the west we always have to be doing things and go, the, the go, truth go, is yeah. we don't do it yeah no i agree i i typically chuck like 20 minutes of yoga we in do. which is not the the correct <laughs> type of yoga but there is like some some that I follow and it is it's interesting noticing the difference between different instructors and stuff I mean for me it's just glorified stretching and stuff uh is, is a way well no for me the way I use it is to is a bit of glorified stretching but I definitely see the benefit of 
all the breathing exercises, the meditation, all those those other elements which aren't included in most yoga classes sort of thing. And when I actually give myself an hour or a couple hours to do a session, it's definitely kind of you you feel so much more centered as a whole and it, you've taken that time and it's important to give yourself that extra little bit of time to find yourself and center yourself and step away from whatever you're doing to um yeah to become that to be that productive person and not always on the go always trying to produce something i think everyone would benefit from having like a sensory deprivation pod in their house <laughs> like it wouldn't have to be big but mm. I think that's half of why if I try and do yoga I'm still being distracted by the lights the noise my thoughts and yeah. sometimes you need to be forced maybe I should do when, yoga blindfolded or something when I was when I was <laughs> flying back um from somewhere this year we were a bit early and I was in the departures hall and it was really bustling and stuff and there was these um in the corner just shoved away there was these eight kind of rent a bed pod sort of thing mm. and I was like oh that's tempting just, <laughs> I could just go switch you're right in the middle of like this crazy busy place but I was like oh I wouldn't mind just lying down yeah. in the middle of there but yeah but you didn't did you I guess I didn't because I was with other people and they wanted to do something else and, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah, I but do appreciate I, I your company, should. but yeah, I'm slipping yeah. into a pod and, on my own. And suit. I think it was like, and also when you kind of, when you look and it's like 20 euros to lie down somewhere, you kind of like, oh, it's, yeah, should be free, should be included on national on national health systems, but you know. Uh, yeah, National Health Service is uh, it's, it's an, an interesting debate, but we've actually never talked politics, so maybe that's. That's probably a good no. thing. Uh, we yeah, should yeah, uh, keep away from that. Uh, well, almost. I mean, today we might sort of. Yeah, I feel like the, the, the topics that you suggested are a little bit political. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's political in a in a direct relationship with what you do. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that's uh, yeah shouldn't be too bad then. But yeah, again, before we get there, so yeah, you, what's new is is what I've listed for sort of point number one um, because. Um, can you talk a bit more again about your blog? Because I think the last time we spoke about your blog, it was some time ago, and there may be people who listen who haven't heard you before, um, and they they should actually know about yeah. your blog. So I guess the blog um, it's on our website, and we've also got uh, you know social media, so Instagram and LinkedIn. I'd say there's more stuff on Instagram. It's really a place where I tell or other people tell stories about their experience of neurodivergence in sport. And the really important thing for me is that even when I tell somebody's story is their story and their perspective, their barriers, um, you know, their ability to overcome them or not. So I really try and get that across and try and make it as honest as possible and engaging as possible so that people see the reality of of the situation and um they can learn from every single story in an interesting and engaging way and the more stories that are, are put on the blog 
the more it becomes representative of reality in, in, in the overall context. Because what I'm trying to get across is that every single person is different, whether or not they have the same diagnosis, the same label, um, they will experience that differently. So it's kind of like a learning piece in its entirety as well. And then, you know, if you want to learn a bit more, you, you, there's so much to to read and look at now. But also, um, if you're coming in there wanting to know something specific, like wanting to find other athletes with who are autistic or have dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, you can kind of search that and and find people so that you don't feel as alone. It was my way of um, addressing the distinct lack of role models community support immediately because obviously you know there's like lots going on in the background with neurodiverse sport um there's lots we're trying to do and pulling the strings and working with organizations and educating teams but that's slow that's slow and you can't control it but what I can control and that's why I say it's like the backbone of what we do is just putting stories out there and making people feel less weird and less alone um and yeah, there's just there's not enough role models and there's not enough advice out there for people who are neurodivergent. And so especially in sport. So it's providing that. But it's not my opinion. It's just it's just it's fact. It's people's experiences. And you can't argue with that. And I think that's that's the beauty of it. Yeah, it's just a really useful resource to like if you want something to relate to or kind of find out how people have overcome their own hurdles and everything it's really it's really useful and the more we do the more stories we get the more of a, a bank of kind of um of information and stories we make the better yeah i over the years that i've worked with people either teaching english or uh, in workshops or whatever what, what i've always tried to do is listen um and the best thing about my, I think, this ability that I have to listen and record people's stories is that when mm. I'm, when I encounter people in the future and they they bring up similar topics, somehow this uh, these memories so come flooding back and I can retell yeah. these stories. So, mm. you know, it's not I, I tell them this isn't my personal experience, but these are the stories yeah. of people who have experienced these things does that story help you as well and people immediately feel more relaxed because they know yeah. oh there is somebody that's experienced this this is something that's out there and it really is comforting in many ways as you say it's so true like the the best messages I get like when I'm feeling incredibly burnt out which unfortunately is quite often at the moment <laughs> and I'm feeling like depressed because I have no dopamine left in my brain um and I'm so tired like looking at those messages that people send is it makes it all worth it so you know people will just drop a message take and I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't even think to message and still feel this way but some people are compelled to drop a message on Instagram or LinkedIn or the website you know and say thank you so much for what you're doing like it means a lot to, to me or my child or it's taught me this or that and and a lot of it is it's just reassured me like I feel like yeah like I said I feel less alone um and I've really resonated with what you said or what 
you've written about this athlete or something like that and I think because because neurodivergence is not talked about so people generally try to kind of hide their differences um you could be stood next to someone who is neurodivergent and you yourself could be neurodivergent and you might not know it because you're both kind of masking and acting as normal as you possibly can because you want to be socially accepted but that in itself is incredibly isolating because you know that you're different and you don't see anyone else like you um and especially when that comes with difficulties that might not be innate to the condition they might be socially constructed barriers but they're still difficulties it's really really hard I I I heard a I heard I read a really really stark statistic the other day I feel like this is the kind of information that you're going to go and look up now but um average life expectancy for autistic people without intellectual disability is 20 years less than the average population in its entirety for autistic people with intellectual disability it's I think 39 years old and that's because I think that group tend to also have comorbid conditions such as uh, epilepsy but for the people without intellectual disability who don't necessarily have comorbid conditions the second leading cause of death is suicide and that to me <laughs> speaks volumes to how people are feeling and made to feel um and it was it was exactly the information I needed to hear at the time because I was starting to get really burnt out and then it really lit a fire in me um but yeah it's 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 serious <laughs> yeah and what what's um striking is that so much of this information ha has taken so much time to come out as in yeah. it's, it's quite it's quite common to hear about, for example, that yeah, the, the famous 27 Club with all of these artists and singers and, and actors and so on. Um, mm. But we tend not to hear about that in, um, let's say, athletes um, beyond their retirement, as in one, yeah. once an athlete sort of falls off that sort of professional participation in sport. And if it's not like an, an A-list athlete in yeah. football or something, you know, people don't follow or don't pursue that. What happens yeah. to that person? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's a very troubling statistic, isn't it? Thirty-nine to fifty-three yeah. years old—that's nothing. How did you know that? How did you make that calculation then? It was well, fifty-three. You must you know off the top of your head the average <laughs> life expectancy. <laughs> You're just yeah. a, a well of information. I think I just sometimes get lucky. Another thing, though, because you also do you since the blog you've developed lots and lots of connections with other organizations but on top of that i think something that you did recently or maybe you've done quite often but i don't know about but together um was a workshop you went to you both delivered a workshop together is that true yeah we started to do more kind of in-person events and stuff so there's been um a few workshops we've been doing with um olympic teams and things like that and then we've also had a couple of um sort of like show events sort of thing where we've taken a stand just to sort of talk to people and kind of 
tell them what we're doing and see if anyone else is sort of interesting and like what they're doing in their space and stuff so yeah we started to move from just a virtual presence to in life presence which has been it's quite rewarding when you actually get out there and get um get everything sorted and yeah actually having real life conversations it's really it's really interesting even for us who kind of struggle with conversations sometimes <laughs> but um yeah in real life <laughs> yeah and there's a good there's a good story about the um the stress of setting up our display board um the night before getting um getting that delivered last minute and um small argument there's that a pat- there's a pattern that's coming up with me <laughs> a small small argument that happened in our kitchen trying to say it up but um yeah I just I need the adrenaline of last minute I think I also have a lot on so you know other things have to take priority but to to be fair I was in charge of ordering it and it didn't only come last minute yeah yeah okay but <laughs> you, ha- you, you you hadn't opened it until about 6 p.m yeah true yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I feel that uh, a secondary blog of relationship management is also somewhere planned uh, in the future. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, have you considered doing workshops for uh, sectors outside of? I know you're both, you know, sports people, but have you also considered doing these kinds of workshops for high-pressure positions in or organizations or companies in other sectors like business and so on? we have a little bit so cara did one um herself uh for a bank and it was it went it went down really well and was really well received i think um it's time and resource although kind of obviously it uh it funds well and helps that funding then helps the cause it's um how much time you put into advertising not, really, yeah not it? not necessarily doing them it's the focus of advertising for yeah. it and if they when, come we'll do them yeah I think it's that like, tends to be yeah. the kind of rule but like I wouldn't at the moment I haven't gone out of my way or we haven't gone out of our way to advertise so to the, corporations yeah. because that in itself takes a day or two mm-hmm. to do and you know you have to push it but through kind of natural osmosis yeah people have kind of come our way anyway and then yeah generally generally don't turn things down Mm -hmm. at the moment yeah so it's definitely something we do but it's I mean it it's more the getting around to advertising it and kind of what platform you advertise it and everything Mm -hmm. as opposed to anything else at the moment and yeah Mm. And it's also, I mean, okay, the, the, at the bank, uh, it was uh, Cara uh, alone. But I mean, is is it something that you'd like to do more together, or individually, or does it not really matter? So it, that was a that was that like was a, a talk, yeah. and that was more about my story to the EDNI yeah. network. Um, but we do do the workshops we together. Do, yeah, we do the workshops together. It depends because we're sort of really quite open to whoever we're working with, like whatever their needs are and we'll like we'll suggest certain things or workshops but you know if they if they say we've got however many hundred people and they just want to talk sort of thing and that's the sort of best way of doing it then that that's sort of the best way of doing it for some people so um yeah like we where where we're facilitating something and we've got a lot of control we normally do bits together because it is much it's much easier to do a workshop there's two of us sort of thing and 
share our knowledge base and relate and connect to people in different ways but um it's kind of down to the client as such really what they're after yeah I certainly don't love doing workshops on my own um because inevitably when you're educating around a subject that people don't know about but also that is touchy that you also have lived experience of it can be really hard and it's good to have somebody there with me so unfortunately in sport I think a lot of people attend a neurodiversity workshop wanting to find solutions to bad behavior for instance so like bad autistic behavior or you know how do we solve ADHD and that is not what I can provide or we can provide mm. is not what I want to provide either um and actually to confront to confront those kind of misconceptions and to say have you considered what you're doing to disable people or enable them that's that's challenging and that's hard um and so yeah like that's why I don't really love doing it myself because again I've been in my career it was suggested I was difficult I had a management plan <laughs> like this is really triggering I know I'm not a difficult person and I know I don't need managing it was just different um so yeah there's a lot of like emotions tied up in it I think hmm. um in, in a different context but so, somehow similar I've, I've got a student and uh, he um was at a, at a job interview um, and the, the the company after a few minutes they sort of set down some of the the things that they would require from him and he said okay stop 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 okay I, I don't want the job uh, because quite clearly the problem here isn't the services that you want me to provide the problem is your mindset um, and that's what needs to be changed uh, so when you change your mindset <laughs> give me a call uh, and and I thought <laughs> that's bloody cool um yeah. and i mean he said he could do that because he's not worried about getting a job anytime yeah. soon as in his situation is cool so not everybody can do that of course um but it does reiterate i mean what you're saying and what he says completely different sectors there is still a huge mindset issue to overcome within organizations and the sometimes as much as you speak to them as much as these people nod and say yes they still don't get it do they they don't get it I think it also is to do with the structure of big businesses and there needs to be a solution to make the impersonal personal because that's what it is it's people are just I don't want to say pencil pushing and box ticking but ultimately they're kind of like they don't really passionate about their jobs a lot of the time they're just kind of following orders and not prepared to think outside of the box and see people as people it's just okay this is the process I'm following do you fit into this mold no you don't see ya whereas actually like you'd get a lot further if you thought for yourself looked at the person what can they give you disregarded the tick boxes um, and that's the luxury of probably being a smaller business and having a more personal approach. And how do you how do you ingrain that in, into big big businesses? It would be hard, but I don't think it's impossible. 
you know, there's people flying into space. <laughs> like, we can probably figure that out at some point. <laughs> Mikey's nodding there. All right, Mikey. Then so we got a. We, I promised that I would um, accurately ask this question, so I had to confirm the country. You could tell how poor my knowledge of uh, gravel bike racing is. But uh, so you were at the World Championships in in Italy. Um, mm -hmm. This was in uh, September, was it? Uh, start of October. Start of October. Okay. All right. Yeah, because yeah, it stays warmer in Italy, isn't it, for longer? Um, yeah. Yeah. First of all, I mean, do you need to have a personal invitation to this kind of event or you need to qualify for it, right? Uh, yeah. So it's like um, you have to qualify for it, but there's a much like triathlon. People probably know quite well. There's an age group element and there's an elite element. So the elite element, you have to be selected by your national governing body to compete in the elite race. Um, and uh, so already I'd qualified for the age group category through a couple of races through the year, but I applied to race the elite race through British cycling and they gave me a place. So yeah. But yeah, Respect. it's good. But yeah. So. <laughs> Respect. Okay. Yeah. You always undersell yourself, don't you? You always, <laughs> yeah, I kind of got a bit lucky. You know, I've never ridden a bike before, but there you are. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but actually you, yeah, you had quite uh, quite a race. It was quite dramatic, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was um like I mean the season as a whole was quite up and down, like some good races, some bad races, some like bad luck, some good luck, and I suppose the pretty summed up in that race as a whole sort of thing. I um went off the start and I think all of about ten seconds in, my brand new seat post on my brand new bike I was provided for the race slipped down. And so I was in sat in a completely wrong position. And considering like obviously all the hours you spend on the bike, you get very used to your equipment and your setup and everything. I was like, oh, this isn't very comfortable, but still got myself in quite a good position. Uh, but it kept slipping basically, and I was it looked like I was riding a a rally chopper, chopper by about um <laughs> I could just imagine uh, that. Like about <laughs> half an hour in. So I, I kind of and the the race was still going pretty hot. So I, um, but I, I took the decision to basically just take the 10 seconds to fix it. And luckily kind of gravel racing because of the sort of endurance nature of it. Whereas if it's a road race, you kind of, you have support cars and sport and teams and stuff. Yeah, that's the car, but gravel racing, you don't have any of that. Um, it's all, you're very much on your own. Um, and so you, you carry like little Allen keys and bits and bobs with you. So I, I got my, my Allen key out and as I was going along, I managed to loosen off the seat post, give it a knock, lift it up to what I felt was about right, tightened it well beyond the torque that it was supposed to be on probably to make sure it wasn't going down again. But in that kind of little bit of time, because the race was just so hard, I just briefly lost contact with, the bunch I was on and ends up in a second group um and then queue were kind of frantic two hours what it basically turned out to be trying to chase back on and in it's all they they, they sort of like endurancey cycle it's always all about kind of saving your saving your matches you kind of talk you know you've only got so many kind of efforts in you and I used all those efforts quite early so 
the um the the last um 50k or so was certainly a slog but it was it was fine it was good and like i think it was a really kind of um yeah really positive end to the season after kind of like i say i had some good races or i had some really good results in like races where you know you'd vomit through a rock field or something and think i should have broken something there but luckily you haven't broken anything so yeah rough for the smooth with gravel mm. cycling quite a lot of yeah. rough okay i always had visions of you as like a, uh, a kind of anakin skywalker pod racing while you're sort of racing and you're fixing it as you're going along um yeah. but uh all right but then at some point you, you you talk about the season i mean do you also think about the next season as in are you going to give that another go yeah yeah like it, it's so funny kind of through the year you kind of go oh do i want to do this anymore this is like it takes a lot of time a lot of effort and it it's like almost the second you cross the line you miss it already and you're like right you're kind of getting on trying to find sponsors trying to find everyone find, you know kind of find funds basically to do it again so yeah i'm i'm looking forward planning the calendar already some kind of some cool races coming up and starting a little bit earlier so starting in february this year which is quite good um yeah i'm looking forward to it already so cool cool, and, cool cool um with my sort of adhd brain everyone's kind of everyone comes off the seasons like puts their bike down and wants a month off their bike and i think i had two days before i was doing something and i officially called it i had an off week as opposed to an off season um even though i did probably more in that off week than most people do in their first week back training but that being said the first four weeks back as i say have been really good and really positive so i'm looking forward to the start of the year and kind of going in quite strong hopefully you just gave zach the perfect segue what was that you said with my adhd brain <laughs> <laughs> Before we do jump onto the next topic, then yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to to read about some of the uh, the tribulations that you referred to, and uh, and also I mean when I saw your post come up on Instagram, it's you know, straight away there are so many um, you know, other people commenting, offering support, and you know, your teammates, and yeah, we're there for you, and uh, you know all of this, and so you've got a really cool community around you too, so it's uh, it's good to yeah. see. No, I think that post I kind of got, it was a, it was a little a, like a touch on sort of emotional because it's like I say, it was end of the season. It's very reflective and it kind of reflected back to kind of 12 months ago, 24 months ago and stuff. And, you know, it's when you kind of pause and back to like when you when you stop and like your yoga and everything, actually, when you take when you take a pause and think about like where you are and where you've come from and stuff, you can it's easy to kind of be quite satisfied yeah. you also got a little bit of advice um on your social uh, regarding your social media didn't you yeah and um from a friend yeah and the teammate's girlfriend was actually who's an influencer in her own right basically gave me quite a lot of advice on bits and bobs to do so that was good very good okay all right cool so then in that case uh watch out for uh mikey on social media 
revolutionizing uh, everything. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah, exactly. Cara, so as you said, politics. Um, so I'd never even heard about the uh, disability action plan uh, coming out or this consultation document. So 2023 to 2024. Um, yeah. Can you, can you, Tell us about it. I mean, do you know anything about the background of it and so on? Oh, I, don't, I couldn't tell you about the background. Um, we put together a response to the Get Active strategy first and the Disability Action Plan consultation document. And I think it was important to address both because neurodiversity, neurodivergent people exist in every level of sport activity, physical activity, not just in disability sport. Um, so yeah, we we just respond. We just, I say just responded. We responded as neurodiverse sport to the main points that they proposed. Um, I guess primarily because well, we want to light some fires and instigate change, but also because there was barely any mention of neurodiversity at all, which is pretty frustrating, um, considering. There are so many neurodivergent people whose needs are not being met. And I think considering it's kind of, to me, the golden thread that runs through all of these inclusion in sport initiatives, like all these communities that um, maybe aren't engaging with sport as much. I think there's there's a cultural element, but there's also the, the neurodivergent factor. Um, and so, yeah, it's like it's just one one more of those things that we're trying to do to represent the community and to get the conversation started and I've kind of tried to make sure that put it out on social media on LinkedIn and uh, put it on the discussion forum of the website and also put it on Instagram which isn't probably the place that you would put it um, but kind of made it into sort of our key responses so it's nice and engaging and digestible um, but you know it's all about <laughs> it's all about not excluding people just because they don't just like the whole concept in 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 the way that I'm presenting the information it's about not excluding people because they don't engage on certain platforms like I want to make sure that everyone's being represented and if I'm saying that I'm speaking on behalf of the neurodivergent community as the kind of first organization in sport to to make that claim well I want to give people a chance to say what they want to say about it um so yeah that's just it's just it's just it's responding to what the conversation that's going on at a governmental level and and the information that they're putting out yeah I mean I don't know if um how many other people tend to you know, engage in, in in this kind of way I think probably not many lots of people on social media probably read about uh, I don't know a bill or something and they send a couple of lines and they say ah oh, this is bullshit or this is great or blah 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 but I mean you've gone through it and you provided a pretty comprehensive uh list of responses sorry um, did you know that I'm autistic <laughs> yeah and yeah. I, 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 I still think you are. Sorry, I, I, I really got hyper fixated and made sure I like really honed <laughs> in on the details and just obsessed about it and made sure that they, think, every point was covered. Yeah. But I, I think that it is, it's a good message though, actually, because like, so with social media giving everyone a voice, it's kind of, 
it you often don't actually direct it very well and kind yeah. of throwing a little complaint about the bins on the community um facebook group isn't actually going to have any action on the bins like if you actually want some action then you have to do your research take your time and but people don't know that the right people but people don't know that and that's totally fair enough I wouldn't mm-hmm. have known that until I had spoken to one of the other directors of neurodiverse sport Charles Freeman yeah. like he's been so good in kind of teaching me the ways of the world in terms of bureaucracy um and I kind of feel I almost feel like I don't feel cheated but I'm like wow there are so many people that just don't know the language and don't know the way things work and that's why their voices aren't heard and I think it's why I was so passionate about putting a really detailed and formal response in and then sharing it with the community because it's almost it feels I know this sounds really conspiratory but it feels like these these there's like languages created at the top and systems created so that people can't permeate them. And I think that's wrong. And so I'm trying to tread that line and delve into those systems, get the information, transform it, send it, you know, send it out to the masses and then get the response back. Cause it's not fair that people are excluded from these conversations. that's my piece <laughs> no, no, no i can no i completely agree and, and just to, to go back to the point you said before with yeah i know you have high functioning autism and i still think you uh deserve to be complimented for the work and the effort that you've put oh, in and you. and that's that's basically all i wanted to say but yes of course um the thing is i shouldn't i shouldn't stereotype like that that's me making a joke but you know some people that's not how their autism presents but i like to credit my autism because it doesn't get credited enough <laughs> it's always seen through a deficits lens so you know that's why I said that but yeah of course of course um, but it, again the points that you make I, I think uh, are also um, uh, to be found in other areas where I mean language barriers uh, are indeed limiting and restrictive to a number of different kinds of social groups um, and this is one of those uh, classic cases and so therefore it's 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 even more important that you've uh, you've taken this step, um, and I still think it's uh, you know greatly courageous to be able to put it together and say to essentially a, a government or a political party or a, a civil service department, you know, hey, you guys, um, you're missing out or you are excluding from your analysis uh, a, a significant group of people who actually have a lot to contribute, um, yeah. and, and I, I think that's uh, that's a very important step. Yeah. And the thing is, is like I'm I just want to give you an example. But so 80 percent of autistic people are unemployed and I'm self-employed right now. And I am, you know, you talked about my my work output is huge, but I genuinely think and some and you'll probably be like, no, you're not. But I genuinely think I would be difficult to employ because I do not fit into boxes. Um, and no, there's you would agree. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't. And I, I ask questions and I. I'm honest. I'm over. I not, I don't even think there is such a thing as o- overly honest, but like I need to know the detail and I need to be involved in everything. And I'll tell you if if something's not efficient or effective, I don't want to do it that way. If it's not efficient or effective, I don't want to do it. <laughs> but like those things are kind of good, but they don't fit into work environments as they are. And it is not surprising that 80 percent of autistic people are unemployed but you've got some really highly talented people whose 
capacity is totally wasted because they're kind of misunderstood or not supported it's it's incredibly frustrating yeah no i completely agree um and, and it reminds me and, and i'm not going to sing my praises here it's just something that i learned but last week i did a workshop on sustainability with kids and i had this like it's a fantastic workshop all planned out you know, i've created it over ages and uh, such a significant plan actions and stuff every day um but at a certain point the kids said no no we enjoy this task we're going to keep doing this task um yeah. and these are like eight to, eight to 13 year old kids and at that point what do i do do i say to them no no stop you got to stick to my plan or do i just say do you know what you're having fun well, i'll stick to your plan um and we stuck to what the kids were doing and they really enjoyed it and their parents were really happy and at the end i you know why does my plan have to be the significant plan just because i prepared it all plans change right yeah no, I totally agree. So let's go into some of the uh, responses. Um, I, I think the, the the first one that you've uh, highlighted um, probably deserves primary uh, attention. We would like uh, neurodiverse or neurodivergent uh, representation on a task force so that the issues mentioned can above can be addressed. So uh, from what you're saying, there isn't even any or up until now, there is no uh, representation on the task force at all. No. Um, I think the two the task force is a new initiative, but um, up until now, like neurodiversity is really is still not in, entirely recognised or represented, and that's what we're really trying to change at the moment for it to be a thing. It's it's kind of like uh, pigeonholed into a subsect of disability, and I think in doing so, in being so, a lot of people are missed because there are a lot of people who do not consider themselves disabled or disabled in the same way as you might assume um, or or they feel their disability is transient or they feel their disability is um, socially constructed. So I think it's really important for neurodiversity to be a separate category to disability where you can have neurodivergent people who are disabled by their conditions or are not or are disabled in certain circumstances but to pigeonhole it kind of under disability I don't think I don't think is accurate and also on that note sorry mm. <laughs> on that note I feel disability in itself is such a kind of it's reductive so okay. I think probably talk about using like the wrong size Alan kit I don't think there's a saying no it, th like I that. think there's yeah. a saying that's like you're trying to hammer a screw or something I don't know it's something like that but it's like oh we'll just chuck everybody into this category even though there's so much diversity and disability it, it's not to me it's not right that there's kind of a small like disability is is one category and then you know there's like one disability representative or even more but like there's so many different types of disability huh. so yeah I've just gone down a rabbit hole but <laughs> no, no but I, I think that's that's a part of this, the same problem it's 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 a significant question of ignorance as in people unfortunately in uh, positions of uh, influence where they can actually make significant changes to groups of people and communities they don't actually know anything about those communities for which they are perhaps in charge yeah. of making decisions so yeah. a consultation if it's not representative of the people it's supposed to be serving then it needs to be thought again 
Um, so yeah, because you mean, need you yeah. need you need you know you'd need representation of amputees because amputees can't speak to the experiences of somebody with the intellectual impairment who can't speak to the experiences of um, an autistic person without intellectual impairment who can't speak to the experiences of someone who's dyslexic. Like you can't just have one or two or three disability champions. I think. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think also here later on, um, it says uh, a one size uh, fits all approach for disability does not work. Um, and yeah. uh, you've made that quite clear. Yeah. And then later on, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into all of it because I think people should read for themselves. Um, see yeah. also some of. Long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but picking out some of the things. So, OK, and one more point, if we could take that then uh, sports um, integrity. Um, you note that many neurodiverse athletes uh, report instances of both bullying and abuse in sporting settings. Um, mm -hmm. Now, bullying and abuse, um, we are we've heard quite a few high profile cases in other situations that doesn't relate to disability, but with regards to the abuse of younger people with the racial abuse, sexist abuse and so on. Um, so it, it's extremely easy to believe that this kind of bullying and abuse uh, would also uh, have kind yeah. of slipped in under the radar. Nobody's talked about it. And people who may not have yet heard your story should go back and, and do a search for a lot of the things that you've talked about so that maybe they mm. can understand exactly how severe uh, some of the issues that you had to deal with were and, and the lack of understanding that you encountered for so many years. Um, but how prevalent is it, do you think, still today, even though examples such as yourself have been so vocal uh, in the last few months? Uh, it's still really prevalent because there are still a lot of people who you know, are very set in their ways in terms of preconceptions and stereotypes. And unfortunately, there'll be a lot of people who hear my story and just think, oh, some weird autistic or it's her problem or she's emotional or maybe don't even see it in themselves. Like, don't see, you know, they might be like, that's wrong, but I don't do that. And actually they do. Um, so I think, yeah, and I, I've seen examples. I've seen examples of some sports for instance, gymnastics, they obviously had the white review, which was really damning. But off the back of that, they've had a real big inclusion and well-being drive. And they've kind of got some really good people in to lead that. Um, and so they're definitely going in the right direction because obviously a lot of gymnasts are also young. And I would argue that there's probably a lot of neurodivergent gymnasts, too. And I think that's probably contributed to the kind of things that you heard about in the white review but you know part of being autistic is um hypermobility and um you know that intense focus and that those things make very good gymnasts but I've also seen some sports I won't name which sports but in kind of response to this neurodiversity drive and these things coming out almost like kind of bolt down and um sort of run away yeah run away mm. or diversity wash or say that say that they're doing the right things whilst kind of cutting all the fat and and kind of 
you know, reducing their circle even more and excluding, you know, their response has been, okay, well, if we get rid of all of the different and difficult people, then we can't mistreat them (laughs) because they're not there. Um, So I've seen that as well. Yeah, it's it's great that you said that because um, I'd actually just written down um, greenwashing because it kind of suggested to me that this was, you know, organisations, they they say, oh, we've set up this task force, we're going to work on uh, you know, making things more accessible to people with yeah. di- varying abilities. And really what they're doing is covering their asses, if you forget the... A hundred thousand percent. Yeah, totally. It's like, what are you actually doing, though, beyond talking, beyond getting some people in the room who are going to tell you what you want to hear and comply? Like, what are you actually doing? Um. So, yeah, I really yeah. agree. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, one more thing, because it's going to connect us exactly or directly to the the next point. Uh, Mikey, sorry. I mean, we've just run ahead here, but if you you know how it is, just jump in whenever you whenever you. Yeah, no, of course. I'm fine for this moment. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, But it's with the diagnosis uh, issue, uh, because you said you've noted the number of people with neurodiversity being diagnosed has greatly increased in recent years. Um, And then at the same time, we I sent you this article, which you've probably seen already anyway, but uh, about um, how uh, ADHD and autism assessment requests have been blocked by the NHS uh, screening system in uh, York and North Yorkshire, this particular pilot that had been launched. Um, and 85% of requests had been rejected. And of the 15% that had been accepted, the people are still waiting for uh, referment to an assessment. And the waiting times are about two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of people, yeah, have it like waiting up to six years, but I think like principally, like there's obviously a problem and someone's taken a look at it and tried to find a quick solution, like reduce that waiting list. But (laughs) the reality is the whole thing needs, the whole thing needs like an overview and the whole thing needs looking at how you assess people and how you diagnose people because you know we don't send people straight to an MRI when they have a bad back we kind of we assess them and kind of see what's appropriate but sorry just got a little bit distracted so it's fine doing an element of screening but clearly the level of screening is not correct if only 15 percent of people are getting through because for starters I'd almost guarantee more than 15% of the general population have ADHD. Yeah. So But also if you're if they're going to the if they're mm-hmm. going to the doctors, yeah. There's something that they're struggling with. I'm confused and I need to do more research into this because they've been blocked by the Do It Profiler, which is kind of supposed to be a tool for good. And I think it was a it was originally a tool kind of to get people to understand what uh, accommodations they might need in the workplace, not to diagnose them specifically. So I'm really confused as to why that's being used to screen people. Like, and, and I know the person who created this profiler and I think her intentions are good. And like, I, I actually 
completed the profile profiler myself and I was I was concerned because I it came out saying like I had autistic ADHD and dyspraxic traits and I was a bit like oh god is this going to label everyone as neurodivergent so then to see it suggesting that people are less I'm like how is it being interpreted do you need like you need a hundred are they you know it's, it's how are they using what's coming out is it that you need a hundred percent to go through or is it that if somebody has like 75 percent are they being screened out and so I yeah I just I'm I'm not I don't think this is amazing I I don't think think it's great I think there are people that obviously need help because they wouldn't be going to the doctors if they didn't need help I think like they're trying to find a solution to a problem and because and obviously if you've only got 15 percent of the people going through and they're still waiting on a waiting list then obviously there's there's more people in the system than it has capacity for and and it is kind of you know an ADHD assessment will take you know two or three hours to do it yourself plus then the psychiatrist's time and everything beyond that so you could you know say they can probably actually in reality do one or two a day you kind of see why it's the case so if technology and everything needs to be used to streamline things that's fine but the whole whole diagnosis system needs to be looked at and if there's more stages that's fine but clearly it's not working at the moment and simply trying to screen people out isn't not helpful isn't helpful because you know what I would like like to think is that on screening people out they signpost them somewhere to to a free app or something that because there are free apps out there to help people with who who maybe have kind of like neurodivergent characteristics whether they have a diagnosis or not that would be that would be the ideal like if they've been if they've got to the end of this test and it said oh sorry you've been you know you can't go through to an assessment what would be responsible is to then say have you tried looking at this um application it might help you with you know lifestyle management or something like that but I'm sure that probably doesn't happen and they're just Mm. given a kind of biffed off (laughs) yeah which is the yeah it's concerning isn't it is in you know 85 percent of people have been turned away okay um then what where do they go who do they speak with um yeah because often like these people are turning up with mental health conditions which they which obviously they're they're putting down to a neurodiversity and if you're then just kind of saying no then then what then it's not it's not really kind of and especially I know it's not ADHD but when I told you the statistics about autism and you know the mortality rate and suicide like ADHD unsupported and untreated can make your life very difficult as well. Yeah. Um, and I know there was um, there was another article a couple of weeks ago about the shortage of ADHD medication, and I remember listening to an expert who said, "Well, the fact is, in this country, we vastly under diagnose ADHD. The threshold required is so is actually so high, and a very sort of small section of kind of." 
ADHD, you know, your typical misbehaving boy at school. Who, if who, they're a problem to someone yeah. else basically they get diagnosed if they're just a problem to themselves yeah. well they can stay a problem to themselves yeah. it's no one else's problem so to see like like you going back to but see 85 percent of people turned away you know that's not to say that you shouldn't have a screening process but it's clearly it's clearly over overkill to some extent to some extent yeah, that, that, and that goes back to what I said about I thought the app was good when I tested it and mm. the results were probably fairly accurate. But I think from my memory, it came up as like, actually, it said like you are you're maybe like 100 percent ADHD, 75 percent autistic, 25 percent dyspraxic. Whereas I wonder if. If it had said, you know, you're 75 percent ADHD, whether that means you're screen, you're kind of like screened out. Yeah. So it would be how people are reading it. So it's like, you know, you can you can take the most well-meaning kind of tool and misuse it. And that's also what you said about the threshold being so high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that the NHS is incredibly underfunded. But if you look at even a little bit in the long term. You know, about how people with undiagnosed unsupported untreated ADHD like Cara said you know about struggle for work sort of thing so if these people are diagnosed and have a like a functional treatment plan then or um, they're more likely to be productive they're far more likely to be productive and healthy adding to the system than require support from the system it's very short-sighted yeah um and and we haven't talked um about politics in the past uh and I will limit any of my personal opinions with regards to certain policies from certain uh, political parties uh to another podcast uh, but uh, this is definitely um an issue which I think has to be addressed but again it, it also emphasizes the importance of what you're doing so obviously you are bo- both sports people and so that's the that's the area that you know uh, but any attention that you bring to neurodiversity in sport also filters out to other areas. And I can only imagine that other people are also um, you know, reading about what you do, listening to your words um, and uh, feel heartened by uh, what you're doing. So, yeah, long may that yeah. continue. I mean, and I would encourage anyone who has ADHD and maybe doesn't feel like they're being, un- you know, they're understood or being supported to either visit our website or Instagram, but more importantly to, in whatever way they can participate in some sort of exercise or physical activity, because it is one of the best tools for managing that kind of like lack of dopamine, the wavering attention. (laughs) Good, okay, thanks. We've gone way beyond our normal um, sort of time frame, but um, that's fair enough. I, I I enjoyed talking with you, and as you kind of suggested earlier, it's like becoming friends. Um, yeah, I I, I just sit yeah. down and I watch you guys uh, argue among yourselves. <laughs> I find it so amusing. Um, I could I could quite happily watch this. They're not real years. arguments. You'd know if it was a real argument. That rarely happens, but <laughs> you'd know. Fair enough. I think the cam would go, it'd be like Blair Witch Project, the cam would go off and there'd be all sorts yeah. of quiet. Um, but yeah, no, fair enough. 
Um, but thank you both. Um, I, I know how busy you are. And so I, I appreciate every moment um, and all the best. And I obviously look forward to um, yeah, following you guys more and more. And maybe at the beginning of next year, we can also have another chat. That would be great. Yeah, for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. Great.